Uh, we're continuing our Summer in the Psalms series, and this morning we're going to take up Psalm 55. So, feel free at this point to turn to Psalm 55. We'll also have it on the screen behind me. But the question as we enter into the Psalms, always a good question to ask of each Psalm, why did God give us the Psalms? And in particular, why did God give us the particular Psalm that we are reading, meditating on. So the Psalms are a wonderful gift to God's people because they allow us, they shape our views about God, but they allow us to express our emotions to the Lord. And whether the extreme motion of joy or an extreme motion of sorrow or somewhere in between, we can, become, uh, we can uh, come before the Lord with great honesty. So this morning we have Psalm 55. It's a psalm of David. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into Psalm 55. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our worship. Just the opportunity to sing and glorify you. And I pray that as we open up the scriptures and turn to you, that you would overcome any resistance in our minds and our hearts. Pray that you would encourage us, convict us, strengthen us where we need, but help us uh, to walk in a manner worthy of you. And I pray that uh, this psalm would be one of great encouragement for our hearts and our minds to walk with steadfast love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 55, verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest." Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy... Who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. But I call to God. And the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old. Because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter. Yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. 
Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. This is the word of the Lord. So three weeks ago, I went on a retreat in Wyoming, and this is a retreat that's designed to encourage men who have been in the ministry for a number of years and, uh, and just preparing them and encouraging them for the long haul of ministry. And the first night, right after dinner, they asked one question. They said, what has been difficult in this past year? What's been hard in this past year? And there was about 30 of us on this retreat. And so we just, it started over here. Uh, we were in a circle and men started sharing one by one what had been difficult in ministry and in life in this past year. And so I'm listening, but I'm pondering what my answer is going to be. Listening, but thinking about what I'm going to share. And it goes all the way around the circle. And finally, we're about to write here a few guys away. And the leader says, we need to stop for tonight. It's getting too late. We'll pick this back up in the, you know, tomorrow. I'm like, ah. Oh. I just wanted to get it over with. I didn't want to share, but I did want to get it over with. So I went to bed that night with this question on my mind. What's been hard this past year? And very uncharacteristic for me, I woke up wide awake in the middle of the night. Usually when I go to sleep, I am, you're not waking me back up till morning. Not this night. Middle of the night, I wake up and I am restless. My brain is on fire. As I'm thinking about this question, what's been hard this past year? And so just honestly for me, having to face what's been hard, for me it's this. Some of you uh, are aware of this, that um, we moved here a year ago, May. And then right after we moved here, my dad was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. And he died on July 15th. So yesterday was the year anniversary of my dad's death. Now, we moved from Kansas, uh, Lawrence, Kansas. He was from the Kansas City area, so we lived fairly close. Well, my dad was the caretaker for my mom, who has dementia. So when my dad died, we moved my mom into a memory care unit uh, in, a, in a town where my sister lives, a good place for her. But we moved her from my childhood home the only home I had experienced since six years old and on. So what had been hard these, this past year? A lot of grief, a lot of loss. And so I was thinking about that. And then my mind um, turned to anger as I started contemplating. Actually, the last couple of years, the church that I was part of, a great church, but there were some relational dynamics, some things that were not handled well, and it deeply affected many of the staff. And so I found myself just thinking about some of those relational dynamics and just mad. Mad at the situation, even mad at myself of just processing through that. And then I went from grief to anger to anxiety as I thought about the future. And the question, am I, am I doing a good enough job here at Deer Creek Church? Right? And then thinking, are my kids going to be okay? 
And by that, I mean I have kids age 16 up to 24, four kids. So they're in this, what many have called the critical, um, the critical years of development, where they're making major decisions that are going to affect them the rest of their life. And so as a parent, just are my kids, are they going to be okay? My mind was flooded. Grief and anger and anxiety. Can you relate to some of these dark emotions? What's been hard for you in this past season? What are the burdens that you even carry in here this morning? And what do we do in those moments of whether it's a sleepless night or during the day, those intrusive thoughts that come? What do we do? We need Psalm 55. This psalm is an incredible gift to us. Because what we're going to find is David, who wrote this, goes from a desperate complaint to God in his restlessness. But by the end of the psalm, he has a resolved, determined confidence in God. And so for us, this psalm is a great guide for us, no matter what burdens, no matter what is causing our hearts to be restless. So let's follow the flow of this psalm. Let's begin in verses 1 and 2 as we hear David's desperate complaint. He says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Look how David opens this psalm. He doesn't beat around the bush at all. He is praying and pleading for God's mercy in the midst of his circumstances. He's saying, God, give ear. Please answer me. I need you right now. I'm restless. I moan. And then in verse 3, David reveals a bit more about what's troubling him. He says, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. See, his restless complaint is focused on his enemies. And if you know anything about, if you're not familiar with David, uh, David was, the same David that wrote this, was the king over God's chosen people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. And as the king, as you can imagine, there were many opportunities for David to have enemies, both outside of the kingdom and inside of the kingdom as well. And these enemies are seeking to destroy David. Now, if we were to apply the good counseling question now, it would be, so David, how does this make you feel, right? Verses 4 through 8, David expresses how he feels, and he is utterly honest. Listen to how honest he is with God. He says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. See, David's restlessness is both internal. His heart is in anguish, but it's also external. He's actually trembling, he says. David longs to escape like a dove, to fly away and be at rest. Now, it's natural, a human response in the midst of struggle to want to escape, right? 
but the danger is in what we escape to. There are dark versions of escape, dark versions of what we look to for rest. In the moments or the seasons of struggle, what are you prone towards? What are you tempted towards to seek to lift these burdens? You could say, what do you look to to seek to numb your burdens? Alcohol, drugs, numbing our minds and hearts on Netflix or pornography, online shopping because that new purchase might make us feel better in the moment. Or it could be gossip with others about our enemies, daydreaming about payback, or pretending nothing is wrong. This is the one thing I love about the Psalms. They do not pretend. They invite us to be completely honest with God. Let's continue with the flow of David's thought because he continues with a very honest prayer of justice. In verses 9 through 11, he says, Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. That phrase we'll come back to in a minute. That jet is flying really low. All right. He says, Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. What does David see as he looks around? He sees sin and evil. Day and night the city is full of it. And this is every city in a fallen world, by the way. Right? But let's focus on David's prayer for justice. He says, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. This is an interesting choice of words. It's likely that what David has in mind here is the account of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Now, if you recall what happened back then and there, after the flood, God commanded Noah and his descendants to be fruitful, multiply, and to fill the earth. And the idea here was for them to spread out across the world and represent God and spread the glory of God across the face of the earth. But what did they do instead, the descendants of Noah? Genesis 11 tells us this. They said, come, let's build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, where they don't belong, by the way. And they said, and let us make a name for ourselves, not for God, by the way. And they said, and lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, which is what God commanded, by the way. This is the sin of pride against God. We saw the same sin in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when they took the apple and ate, disregarding God's commands. It's just now this sin is on a much grander scale. And what did God do? The scriptures tell us God divided their tongues, meaning he confused their language. And why? To put a stop to the sin and arrogance of this evil city that was being built, contrary to God's commands. So here's what David is praying. 
He's saying, God, would you do to them now what you did back then at the Tower of Babel? Would you put a stop to this evil? Now, the way David has described his enemies so far is bad enough. But actually, it gets worse in this psalm. Look at verse 12. Verses 12 through 15. We get at the heart of what is actually troubling David. Why he is so restless. He says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. So why is David so restless in his angst? He's been betrayed by a friend who he refers to as a familiar friend. A companion, one, a friend in whom they had worshipped together. And his close friend is now his enemy. David goes on to speak about this same friend, verses 20 and 21, when he says, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, Yet they were drawn swords. Now, the psalm doesn't tell us who this friend is. Likely candidates include his own grown son, Absalom, who at one point betrayed David, his father, and took the kingdom out from under David for a season. Or this could be referring to Ahithophel. This was David's close friend, wise counselor, who also turned against David and sided with his son Absalom. We don't know for sure. But can you imagine someone familiar and close to you has turned on you and now seeks to destroy your life? Can you imagine? I actually can. I grew up with three older brothers. (laughs) But we weren't allowed to destroy each other, at least not in front of my mother. Really, can you imagine what David is going through? He's been betrayed and they're out to get him. And again, what a gift we have in this psalm. Because at some point in a fallen world, we as well, if you haven't already, will experience betrayal. Could be by way of a friend, could be a coworker, could be a family member, spouse, especially in divorce. Betrayal is intensely painful. And what does this psalm do? It invites us to bring our honest complaints to God. Look at verse 15. This is David's plea for God to deal with his enemies. He says, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. Sheol is the place of the dead, the grave, right? He goes on to say, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. So this prayer in verse 15 summarizes David's enemy, evil. It's where they dwell, it's where their heart, it's, it's what's in their heart. And then there's that another prayer for justice in verse 15 that is another interesting choice of words. David says, let them go down to Sheol alive. This is most likely a reference to Numbers 16 in the Old Testament. Here's the context. This is when God was leading his people through Moses from Mount Sinai where God gave his people the Ten Commandments. 
And now God is leading his people through Moses to the promised land, place of rest. And they're in the wilderness. But along the way, there's a betrayal. And it is a betrayal of Korah and his followers against Moses. What Korah essentially says is, why are you exalting yourself, Moses? Who put you in charge? It's God, by the way, right? And essentially, Korah says, you know, we'll take it from here. Long story short, Moses tells everyone, if the ground beneath them opens up and swallows them, and they go down to Sheol alive, you'll know that these men have despised the Lord. And that's exactly what happened in number 16. So essentially, David is praying, Lord, will you please do that to my enemies right now? Whew. Now, my guess is that none of you have prayed that particular prayer of your enemies. Maybe tempting, though. But let's zoom out for a second. From David's world to our world. We do experience a world where sin and evil dwells. It affects us deeply. We have restless hearts. And actually, we should have restless hearts in a fallen world. And we do have a common enemy. See, the Bible refers to this enemy as the devil, as Satan. The book of Revelation describes Satan as the deceiver of the world. We do have a common enemy. The book of Revelation gives us a vision of this enemy and the real world that we live in. It's where Satan seeks to make war against God's people. And what are the weapons of Satan's warfare? If I can just summarize the book of Revelation in three words. The weapons of Satan. Deceit, persecution, and seduction. First, deceit. Satan, again, the deceiver of the world. I'll put it this way. I had a pastor friend who, uh, when he was a youth pastor, would often tell his youth. I heard him quote it all the time. He said, the world has been lied to, but they think it's the truth. Christians have been given a truth, but we think it's a lie. The world has been lied to by Satan, but they think it's the truth. Christians been given the truth, but at times we act like this is the lie. Deceit. The second one, persecution. Increasingly, do we not feel the pressure to conform to the pattern of this world and to say nothing about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Persecution. The last one is seduction. Satan seeking to destroy the purity of the church, our purity, through whatever means possible. Greed, power, materialism, sexual immorality, worldly pleasure. What did Jesus warn in the parable of the sower that would choke out our faith? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life. All of this gives us restless hearts. So what do we do with our restless complaints? What do we do with our burdens? 
We need Psalm 55, the end of this psalm. We come to the turning point starting in verse 16. See, David began with a restless complaint as he was fearful, overwhelmed, wants to escape. But now he moves to a resolved confidence. Look at verses 16 through 19. He says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. So David opens this up, this section with, but I call to God. And we have to look at what David puts his confidence in. Because it is the very thing we must put our confidence in. The first part is this. He has confidence that God actually hears his complaint. If you remember in verse 1, David said, give ear to my prayer. Here we are in verse 19. It says, God will give ear and humble them. If we look back to verse 2, David said, I'm restless in my complaint and I moan. He uses that same phrase in verse 17, evening, morning, noon, I utter my complaint and moan, but David goes on to say, and he hears my voice. David is confident that God hears him. David wasn't the only one who was confident. Jesus himself, right? Also throughout the scriptures, but especially in Luke chapter 18, told this parable of this persistent widow who kept coming to a judge over and over saying, give me justice against my adversaries. Give me justice. And what does Jesus say in this parable? It says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And here's the truth. I actually put it in a rhyme so to help it stick. God always hears those who fear. God always hears those who fear. And here's what I mean by fear. By fear, I mean not running from God scared and hiding. This is the biblical fear. It's to be in awe of God. It is to understand who God is. It is to worship God. It is to have reverence for God. It is to delight in him. God always hears those who fear. The second thing we can have confidence in is that God not only hears our complaints, but he will act. Verse 16, the Lord will save me. Verse 18, he redeems my soul in safety. Ultimately, David understands that God will bring justice and make all things right. And again, what is the proof for David? All David does is he looks back. He looks back at God's judgment on evil at the Tower of Babel. He looks back at God's judgment against evil in Korah's rebellion. He looks back at the faithfulness of God. And then verse 19, it's key to this whole psalm. Verse 19, God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old. 
He who is enthroned. So his confidence is in the one true God who was enthroned as the true king. This is David the king understanding who the real king is. David knows that his prayers reach the very throne room of heaven. They reach a king who the scriptures say is perfectly good, perfectly wise, perfectly powerful. It's the same God we pray to. The confidence David's prayers reach the king and that God will act. Now, for us sitting here today, what adds to our confidence? What would blow David's mind in such a good way? It's this. That God proved that he can actually relate to us in our suffering and has compassion on us. Let's talk about Jesus. What did he experience? Let's consider in this Psalm verses 20 and 21, but I want to insert one name into this. Verse 20, my companion, Judas, stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Jesus himself was betrayed by Judas in the garden, along with many drawn swords against him that escorted Jesus to his crucifixion. Jesus went there willingly. He went to the cross for you and for me. But that's not it. Where is Jesus now? He rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death. But then he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is ruling and reigning. And what does the scripture say that Jesus is doing even right now? Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And Romans 8 the Apostle Paul asked the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he answers the question. Verse 34, Paul says, who is to condemn? Who can condemn a Christian? The answer is this. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Paul goes on to ask, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here's his answer. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I ask again, where is Jesus right now and what, he is, what is he doing? He's at the right hand of the Father. He is enthroned. And what is he doing? He is interceding, meaning he is defending us. He is praying for us, especially in our darkest moments, right? He is protecting us. He is protecting us. So my four kids, right? I have three boys and a girl. When they were younger, I played this game called Protect the Princess. Here's how the game goes. We'd go down into the basement where I would have, we had carpet and we had two beanbags. And I would take my daughter, Paige, who just happens to be here this morning, 
take my daughter Paige, and I would tuck her, I would tuck her behind me, and the three boys would be right there, and I'd say, all right, boys, come and get her. And if you can imagine like a scene from the Lord of the Rings and like the orcs going to war, you are actually not far off. They'd be like, Roar! and here they, they would come charging after me to get around me to get to Paige. And I'm taking and I'm chucking him into bean bags. You got little tie and diapers and he's just running and ramming himself against me, <laughs> taking him and throwing him across the room. And occasionally, and I was actually able to pull this off, when they run at me at the same time, I could bonk their heads together without giving them a concussion and then throw them off into the beanbags. And I kid you not, my daughter is screaming the whole time, and I'm not just quoting David, this is her screaming, destroy them, Daddy, destroy them. <laughs> she is pleading with me to destroy her brothers. And at times when they got close, even to the point of like they could grab her ankle, she'd cry out, Daddy, help! Daddy, help! But I knew something that Paige didn't know. I knew that ultimately they couldn't touch her. I'm way too powerful. <laughs> That's actually supposed to be serious because this is the illustration about God, right? <laughs> I had complete control. They may actually grab her ankles at times, no concern whatsoever. Why? Because she was mine and I was going to protect her. What Christ has done, if we are in Christ, is he has tucked us behind him. No matter what comes our way, he protects, he defends, he's interceding for us. We're not left to wonder if God hears and acts on our behalf. We look back at the cross, and not just at the cross, right? We look back at the cross, but following cross, the cross, we remind ourselves, where is Jesus now? He is enthroned at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for us, especially in our darkest moments. So here it is. If you had to write one line for this sermon... Because God is enthroned, we have all the confidence we need in this world, no matter what comes our way. Because God is enthroned, Jesus is on the throne. We have confidence, no matter what comes our way. So what do we do? David tells us, verse 22, cast your burdens on the Lord. And then David adds a promise. He will sustain you. He'll never allow the righteous to be moved. Now, this psalm doesn't say he'll make your problems go away immediately, but rather he will sustain you through whatever you are facing. And what does it mean that he'll never permit the righteous to be moved? Well, verse 23 says, But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. In other words, the unrighteous will be moved. They will be moved to the pit of destruction, what the Bible calls hell. But the Bible is clear. The righteous will not be moved, will not be cast out of God's presence. They will be, instead, safely tucked behind Jesus because of the cross. He will protect his children. The Father 
will never turn to the son and say, oh, hey, Jesus, do you remember what's his name or what's her name? You know, I, I, I kind of lost track of them. I know they were struggling. I can't remember all the details and I'm not really sure what to do. You will never hear that from the Trinity. No, he knows his children by name. He knows what we face. And we have God on the throne who is in control and interceding. He hears our prayers and he will act. He has acted at the cross and he will continue to act. With our restless hearts, we're invited to cast our burdens because he hears and he acts. And he will sustain us all the way to glory. So what do we do now between our present moments of, uh, of, of struggle and the entrance into the new heavens and new earth. We cast our burdens on the Lord. And if I can uh, talk to about my kids, if I can share with parents, you know, uh, life gets a little bit more complicated as kids get older. The stakes get higher. When you... When your kids get older, if I can say it this way, it often feels like the poo-poo goes from inside the diaper to hitting the fan, if you uh, catch my drift there. But don't freak out, because we have each other. But even more importantly, we have a God, a covenant-keeping God, who cares for us and for our children. And rather than pray that our kids won't suffer, because they will in a fallen world. Together as the church, let's pray that our kids, in the midst of their suffering, will learn to cast their burdens on the Lord. The last line of this psalm is this. But I will trust in you. David moved from a restless complaint to a resolved confidence that God hears, God will act, and it is God who is enthroned and interceding. Now, recall my sleepless night three weeks ago. In anger and anxiety and in grief, I'm wrestling. Thankfully, I had been reading through Psalm 55, just getting in my mind and heart, knowing that I'd be preaching on it. And I... I went from my thoughts that were keeping me restless to the end of this. Cast your burdens on the Lord, Chad, because he will never permit the righteous to be moved. And when I meditated on that, I fell, I fell asleep. What I needed was Psalm 55, and I'm convinced what we need is Psalm 55. I want you to take a, just a minute, less than a minute. The Lord, through David, has said, cast your burdens on him. I want us to take a minute in silence, even right now. The burdens that you're bringing, bring them to the Lord. Let's pray. And let's finish with this. I want us to all together, when I say, and together, for us all to say the end of this psalm. I will trust in you. And together, I will trust in you. Father, thank you for 
this, uh, this psalm, Lord, we give you thanks that you're with us, that you hear, that you have acted. Help us to look back at the cross to see your faithfulness. Help us to be reminded of the ascension of Christ, that he is ruling and reigning and interceding on our behalf. So help us to cast our burdens, I do pray, that uh, you would help us to avoid, resist the dark versions of escape, but rather that we be quick, no matter what our burdens are, to cast them on you, whether relationship issues or health or raising kids or whatever is troubling us. And thank you that you are a God who no matter what we are going through, you can identify with it and you can sustain us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.